Howdy, welcome back to another episode of our weekly podcast. We know you've got a buffet of media to choose from each week. That's why we put a lot of effort into finding stories from the Bible that have relevant lessons for us today. I hope you enjoy. Okay, this morning I want to talk to you about this idea of thorns and thistles. Uh, But the truth of the matter is this probably only applies to those of us who wake up in the morning and go do something and then go to sleep at night. So if you leave your bedroom sometime during the day, this sermon applies. If you don't, this sermon doesn't apply to you. Uh, Genesis 3 is where we're going to go. So if you want to turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, we're going to see an interesting lesson that I think is here for us. Genesis chapter 3, and here's the context. Uh, God has made everything beautiful. And it was so interesting, I think it was last week in our Bible study in the afternoon, you know, we're having a Bible study after our potluck every second and fourth Sabbath of each month. And one of the things brought out was that throughout the days of creation, God pronounces so many things good, except the firmament. He does not pronounce the things, uh, is it day two? I think it's day two. Yeah. As good. But otherwise than that, everything is good. Everything's good. And they have this garden, and it looks like they have fruit trees, and they they just get to pull fresh fruit all the time. And from the tree of life, there's this fruit that, that is coming all the time, the blossoms. I mean, you just put yourself in that garden, and it's good. And we start to learn how good they had it as soon as they don't have it anymore. So Genesis chapter 3 They've been put in this garden. They've been told, Adam and Eve have been told, look, this is all yours. Multiply and fill the earth. And everything's beautiful. They're lacking nothing. And yet for some reason, they fall for this idea that, well, maybe God has held something back from us. And I think we're gonna get into this notion today. Is there something that God is keeping back from me in what I do with my time each day. Okay, follow me. Here we go. So, so they have sinned, and now, strangely, the redemption story doesn't happen right then. It's foretold then. Plans have been set in motion before, but now they're put in place, and, and Jesus begins to tell them about this in the garden. We believe, we believe all the creation came through the hands of Jesus, as we're told in Scripture. And here we go. He says to them, there's some things now that are going to happen. Because this happened, now some other things are going to happen. Childbearing is going to be painful, which means before there was zero pain in childbearing or in the, in the plan for childbearing. Uh, there's other things, the, the emotional struggles of a husband and wife. Verse 16, your desire to Eve shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And so what does that mean? And, and what are all the contexts of that? Uh, we're definitely in a, in a moment in society where it's not just gender discussions, it's gender discussions. And then 17, he, he goes to Adam. Jesus goes to Adam and says, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree, which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, Now we get something very interesting. Cursed or cursed is the ground for your sake. 
Or in other words, I'm gonna do you a favor. I'm gonna curse the ground for you. You're welcome. That doesn't make sense. In toil, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Which means before this, the ground is not cursed. Which means before this, it doesn't really sound like they have to work the ground. Because if most of the things are coming from the trees and the blossoms and naturally, they aren't having to put work in to get something out of it. But then verse 18, it gets very interesting. Not just that, but here's what you're gonna start to see. Both thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth to you, or for you, excuse me. And then another thing, and you shall eat the herb of the field. So the diet is gonna change. It's not just all picking all the fruit at all the fresh, ripe times. Now you gotta work for it. Now you gotta till the ground. And now you gotta eat the green stuff that comes out of the ground, the vegetables. You gotta grow things. You gotta eat things that are grown underground. And today we find that if you just adhere to the original diet, you don't eat vegetables and you don't eat greens, you're lacking, which is very interesting. But there's something here in verse 19, in the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken. So the creation story says, out of the dust of the ground, man is created. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And fascinatingly, that the best diet, both then as pronounced from Jesus' very mouth, eat from the very substance you came from. And today we find scientifically pretty much unargued, the best diet on planet earth is from the dust of the ground. So I wanna talk about this idea of thorns and thistles. Because when you have a garden, we'll go in the most simple context first, everyone was a gardener in this moment. Adam and Eve grow food now. And everybody starts to have to grow food because it just doesn't, these seasons are now happening on the earth. The leaves fall and then it looks dead and then spring comes and okay, now there's life again and there's some type of lesson in this seasonal cycle and they start to work for their food. But the most annoying thing, it would be one thing to just have to work for the food to get something, but now there's these thorns and thistles. A few weeks ago, I, uh, where I have my office, we took a corner of our barn and I made a little office and I put a little glass door in that office and a little window. And outside of it, as I look, I started to see all these weeds pop up, but not just any weeds. You know, some weeds can be beautiful. These, words were, these weeds were not beautiful. These were the kind that are the thorny type weeds that you want to curse yourself. And they're the kind that where you're like, well, I don't even know, how do I get that thing? I gotta go find a thick enough glove where it doesn't hurt me as I try and pull it up. And these thorns seem like they're an inch long each and, and I've got like 40 of them. I had let them get out of control. And I thought, okay, well, how do I do this? You know, there's a, there's a beautiful thought that says, though the curse of sin has caused the earth to bring forth thorns and thistles, there are flowers upon the thistles and there are thorns hidden by the roses. So as I looked at my weeds outside my window, I thought to myself, okay, there's probably three ways to handle these. First, I, I needed to identify them and okay, 
I've identified them. This is a thorn and a thistle. I had to find a way to protect myself as I addressed that issue. Then I had to act and I had to do something. But the most amazing lesson that I learned as I was getting into this this week is thorns and thistles come out of nowhere. We don't plant them. And in this moment, and if we go back 100 years, where the majority of people in the whole world, every day we woke up, we ate breakfast, and we went out to grow our food. That was the majority of the world, just 100 years ago. And now the majority of the world doesn't even know a farmer. Literally, we could not on your phone, I'll give you $1,000, call a farmer. It's their full-time job. It's all they do. Pull out your phones, I'll call them right now. Most people would say, I don't know a farmer. So you think about how the world has changed so quickly. And yet Jesus says here, I'm doing something for your sake. I'm cursing the ground and out of the ground is gonna come thorns and thistles. Out of nowhere, you're not gonna plant them. You're not even gonna expect them. They're just going to come about. And then I thought, okay, well, the lesson here, I think, is as we go to work, and whatever work that may be, whether it's the work of being a mom, whether it's the work of we have a job, whether it's the work of working for the church, whatever it may be, whether it's paid or not, most of us every single day go to work in some capacity. It could even be now, well, I got to go buy the groceries at the grocery store. There's some work that relates to that. Well, Jesus had work. But as we look in the life of Jesus, did he ever have unexpected things, the thorns and thistles stuff of life, come out of nowhere? As I was thinking, I was like, hey, where did Jesus encounter these things? They came out of nowhere. They weren't on the agenda for the day. I thought of one glaring example was the storm in the boat. They are literally just seeking to cross the lake and a storm comes out of nowhere. Thorns and thistles out of nowhere. You had Jesus going about to do something and demon-possessed men and women coming out of nowhere to hinder his progress. You had angry religious leaders of anyone who should say, oh, here's a man who's trying to build up the principles of our religion out of nowhere, angry people at Jesus. So I'm, I'm convinced now that the majority of our thistles and thorns in life are not in our gardens because most of us don't spend the nine to five in our garden. We spend it going to do some type of work. So I wanna to talk to you a little bit about work this morning. You know, work and worship in the Hebrew were the same word. I find that fascinating. You know, these ideas of whatever you do, uh, do it with all your might to the glory of God. It's an interesting idea, but what if you don't like your job? What if your boss is rude? What if your kids aren't appreciating how much work you're putting into being an awesome mom? What do you do then? Well, Solomon, as we talked about earlier with Jeff Bezos and Solomon, Solomon, as we clearly saw, money was not something that seemed to come into Solomon's concerns on any day. When you got $2 trillion net worth, I can't really think of it, but I think money just disappears. It's not even a thing you think about anymore. Compared to the majority of Americans, money. 
I saw something interesting. It says, the, the most stressed out generation about money is my generation. Millennials. I thought, that's interesting. I don't know if I'd have won that bet. But Solomon in Ecclesiastes 3.13 says this. A person can do nothing better. Oh, all right, the richest man that ever lived. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their work. And he says this in a number of different cases, three, four times. He says this, this too I see is from the hand of God. The finding of it is a beautiful principle because I don't think satisfaction just comes to you in what you're putting your hands to do each day. Whether you're a mom, whether you're retired and you got all the different work, because I understand retirement is not just put your feet up, whether you go to work each and every day. I think Solomon is saying something here. You gotta find the satisfaction in this. It's not just gonna come to you. You gotta find it. Proverbs 16, three, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. I find something very interesting with men, and I can only speak in my own context, Men in their 30s and 40s are, I'm even going to include some 20-year-olds, unfulfilled for the most part in this moment in history. No matter really what they're doing, it's this feeling of, ah, what am I doing? How am I making a difference in the world? And For a long time, I just thought, man, is it elusive? Does anyone like what they're doing each and every day? Then I started to think about, you know what I think it is? We all used to grow food. And when you grow food, you do some things to prepare. You clearly understand by tilling the soil, there will be no tomatoes today. We understood that. We clearly understood by putting seeds in the ground, there will be no harvest today. And we knew that by doing some things along the pathway, some water, some sun, some weeding, that plants will grow and then there will be a harvest. It's like, we get that. In in the vegetable world, in in the growing world, we get that there's a time, there's a place, there's a process, then there's a harvest. But when you don't see something that gives you that satisfaction of, The tomatoes are ripe today. The grass has been cut today. I can see, see, look, that's where I cut it. That's why a lot of us, I think, love cutting grass. I did that and I haven't done that. And that is gonna look like that when I'm done. Give me an hour. And it's just this feeling of satisfaction. I can see a difference in what I'm doing. But it's very hard when you're counting money for somebody else. You're like, I think I'm important. I don't know. And unfortunately, I'll share a statistic with you in a second. Most of us are never told thank you. So if I can't personally see that I'm changing the world and you're not telling me I'm changing the world, it is very easy to get into a funk, which is, what am I doing with my life? And I I bet our wives could make a lot of money if they heard from us guys how many times we say, what am I doing? What, What is the difference I'm making? Here's a few statistics on this idea of work. And then, and then we're gonna get into this idea of how do you prepare for the unexpected things that come into the work of life? 
How do you prepare for that? 85% of employees are not engaged in the workplace. That's terrible. And you get into the nitty gritty of all this and how much money it's costing society. 81% of employees are considering leaving their jobs. Uh, here's another one. Companies with highly engaged employees are statistically 21% more profitable. People like their work, the company will make more money. Because here's what I think you get from that. When that person is in the shower tonight and they love their work, they're thinking, because you know, there's something about the supernatural experience of a shower, it's where all good ideas happen. There's a reason for that, it's the ions. I was digging for that forever, that's what it is, it's the ions, the oxygen and all this stuff. Anyway, an engaged workforce, an engaged employee, if they actually enjoy their work, they're working when they're not working because they're thinking in the shower, you know what? That's the solution to that issue. You know what? This is how I can do this thing better. Number four, good company culture increases revenue by 400%. That's amazing. And we could put these things, revenue, maybe we could put these terms in our church, maybe we could put these terms in the happiness of our home, that if, if we're engaged, everything is better. All the metrics we would measure are better. Here's another one. One in three professionals cite boredom as their main reason to leave their jobs. It's just boring. I could do this with my eyes closed. What is the point of this? Here's another one. 37% of employees consider recognition as the most important thing that they're not getting at their work. No one ever tells me you are doing a great job. And I'm more and more convinced if somebody is not telling you that and you aren't seeing something so tangible with I did this and we got this, it can, you can feel a little bit of despair. So you got those issues weighing against you. And then you have the thorns and thistles of life. As if the work wasn't itself the issue, now you have crises come into work. You can see how loaded this is. It's one thing, and I'll, take, I'll use the garden example. It's one thing to say, okay, here's the soil. Here's my seeds. I'm gonna till the soil. I'm gonna put the seeds in. And uh, yeah, maybe there's gonna be thorns and thistles down the way, but I don't have to worry about that. Like, let's just get, okay, now I need some, I need some rain and I need some sunshine. And then there's some storms and then there's some drought. It's like, wait, if, if working wasn't hard enough, I know the thorns and thistles are coming. I know the, the vermin and the critters are coming to try and eat my stuff, the birds. And so how do we deal with this? You know, in the big context of global events, uh, we use the phrase a black swan event. The black swan, nobody could have seen this coming, but now that we look back, maybe there were signs that could have happened. A lot of people have used this as they talked about the COVID pandemic. Nobody could have seen this coming, except the people that told us it was coming. Sorry, that's a different sermon. That's a different sermon. But the idea is the thorns and thistles of life, for a lot of us that weren't preparing it, I mean, weren't forecasting it, for a lot of us, we were taken by surprise. It was the ultimate thorn and thistle event. Everything is disrupted. So I want to share with you 
as I got into this, I thought, okay, Jesus, for some reason, tells us ahead of time, look, this is gonna happen. You're gonna have to work. Work was a blessing. Now it's gonna be harder. And it's not just gonna be the work. It's not gonna be just gonna be what you wake up and do every day. Now, unfortunately, or fortunately, because we get into the idea of cursed is the ground for your sake, that for some reason, these trials, we're told, count it all joy when you fall into these trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. It's like, okay, well, that's a whole nother lesson when your whole world falls apart, when your business falls apart, when you lose your job, when there's a crisis at work. What is happening? Crisis with your family, crisis with your kids. How do we prepare for these thorn and thistle events of daily life? Because they aren't something they notify you of. You don't get a notification on your phone of you will be having a thorn and thistle type event this Thursday. You don't get those. They just come out of nowhere. So here's a few ideas as I've I've been digging into this. One is we should expect them. And maybe not to the extent of the idea of Murphy's Law where if anything can go wrong, it will go wrong. But if Jesus said, look, in your work, there are going to be thorns and thistles. And I want this to be as general as possible. We all have work every day. Whatever you go about doing in your day, Jesus is saying here, you're going to encounter something totally foreign that you did not put there, that you did not plan for, that is of not your own doing. And it is called a thorn and thistle event. It came out of nowhere, but if you don't deal with it, it could mess your life up. If you don't deal with all these thorny bushes that come around your healthy plants, they will rob the nutrition from the plants, from the experience. So we should expect them. They're going to happen. Jesus tells us, while we're in the world, we will have trouble. But he promises, I've overcome the world. So number one, let's expect them. These things are gonna happen. Life is not all roses. Some of us wake up one day and our spouse is gone. Whether from death or divorce or some tragedy, they're gone. We wake up one day and our job, we are told, is done. Our doctor tells us it's bad. You're going to encounter something in life that is what Jesus described when you go about your work, when you go about your day, you're gonna encounter some thorns and thistles. Expect it. Number two, we've got to learn from history, not just any history, learn from our own history because I want to share with you a quote I wrote in the front of my Bible. You know, your Bible, I don't know how we all look at the sacredness of our Bible. You know, some of us are don't write in your Bible. Some of us are mark the thing up so that you know it. So when you write in your Bible, I think it's a, a symbol of, this is pretty important to me, right? All right, I'm gonna read this one. This is from Ellen White in a letter she wrote in 1882. It's just one sentence. The glory of God, the perfection of Christian character is to be the aim, the purpose of our life. Now that could be either be daunting or it could be inspiring what Jesus started in me he will bring to completion. So I put that in the front of my Bible. I said, man, that means Jesus is never gonna give up on me. Okay, so in light of that, 
Here's our number two principle of encountering the thorns and thistles. We've got to learn from our history and know that when I encounter troubles and trials in life, what has been my pattern for dealing with these? And I think this is a wonderful moment of reflection to say, usually when I encounter trials, I lose it on people. I share with them my four-letter word vocabulary. I let them know how upset I am. It is extremely healthy not to have other people tell us that for us in our own experience. Number one, I'm expecting thorns and thistles in life. Number two, what has been my experience dealing with these moments in my life? And I think it's very healthy to look back. Okay, when that thing happened, how did I deal with that? And for a lot of us, it may be we haven't dealt with these things in the best way. But I think it's very important that we know because if it's true that character is revealed, not made in a crisis, then we need to very much understand what's been my character through these trials in life. And if we just stepped back from our own life and we looked at our life and we said, okay, when we encounter thorns and thistles, this is usually how I've reacted. And if we're on this Christian walk, Somehow we're wanting to give God glory, bear fruit, be loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, all these things. We need to compare those ideal attributes to how do I deal with these typically in life? And if those aren't on the same page, we say, Lord, I'm expecting these things to come, but I also don't really have a great track record with dealing with some of this stuff. So I think it's very healthy to know our history, know how we've reacted when these show up in life. Here's the third one. Uh, the idea of prayer. Uh, prayer, maybe for many of us, has become just this religious checklist thing. Pray. Pray before you eat. Pray before you have a meeting. Uh, pray before you do a surgery. Pray before something bad. Just pray before you go to sleep. And it becomes maybe a checklist. These are good times to pray. They're logical. They make sense. I think they're the right thing to do. But prayer, as it relates with this idea of preparing for the unexpected, is a different kind of prayer. It's kind of a forward-looking prayer. Lord, I don't know what today or, or tomorrow may bring, but I'm expecting some thorns and thistles to come out of nowhere as I go to work. And I have this historical pattern that you and I know, Lord, not maybe anybody else knows, but you know how I deal with these things. And I think the prayer part comes in where we need to be very transparent in those two and say, Lord, I need you to prepare me for these things. In my conversation with Glenn yesterday, it was really interesting. We were talking about how Christianity has almost become an entertainment. People come to church, we raise our hands, maybe we have cool lights and cool music and, and it's, it's a thrill, but then we leave and guess what? All that does not do anything when my doctor tells me I have cancer. I don't care about the music anymore. I don't care about the coffee. I have cancer. What did church do to prepare me for this event. That is where prayer comes in in a very powerful way. Lord, there's gonna be something crazy that happens in my life. You've told me it's gonna happen. I need your help to prepare me. I don't know what that even means, but I'm coming to you in this supernatural communication thing called prayer where either openly or silently, I talk to you as if you're my friend. And I believe that you are my friend and I believe you actually want my good because 
If we have any friends in this life that want our good, we should look at Jesus better than that. I'm convinced more and more we have painted Jesus as not so friendly of a dude. God, I mean, he created us. Maybe he likes us. I don't really know. It's like the worst marketing campaign ever that the founder of a movement, we really put in suspicion that, I don't know, Bruce, maybe he's good. Maybe he's not. You should love him, right? I mean, it's, it seems pretty smart. The Bible says to love him, but, but do we really act like it? When we go into meetings, when we meet with people, when we celebrate birthdays, do we really go into it with, God loves us. He's with us. He's for us. He's not against us. And I think as we ra- grapple with that, prayer changes to not just, I'm coming to you to appease you, God. I'll, make, I'll negotiate with you. If you'll do this for me, I'll do this for you. Rather than, you want my good. I need that. Help me. Okay, so there's prayer. And the last one, study. This is the one that somehow the, the trappings of the world distracts us. But it's like, okay. For a long time, we've been writing things in books. This could have been a library. If you want to know God, you need to read these 10 books. You need to, you need to go to this place for this pilgrimage. But for some reason, it's all digested in one book of stories. There's a long story, and then there's all these short stories. And I'm convinced this is one of the key ingredients learning from others. Because guess what we get to do? We get to look in the story and say, okay, they were happy. Let's pick on Job. Job was rich, happy. Nothing could stop this guy. Man, look, a few chapters later, God is bragging about how much he loves this person. And yet Job meets some thorns and thistles type events. And he is utterly shocked. Where did these come from? His money's gone. His kids are gone. His wife is kind of convincing him, give up on God. And yet we learn from this story how God and Job work out this idea of, I need, you to, tell, I need to tell you who I am and let's get to know each other a little bit. And we learn this in the story of David and Solomon and, and Abraham and and Rahab, the prostitute. We learn all these stories of people are going along life on a plane and out of nowhere, there's a thorn and thistle event and how do they manage that conflict? So I'm convinced that's where there's an ingredient here, studying how others who were on this same journey like us. How do people that profess belief in the author of this book and the creator of my being, how do they interact with the thorns and thistles of life? Well, here's lesson after lesson after lesson. So there's four things. Expect the thorns and thistles. Learn from our own history of how we deal with these. Making prayer a part of this humbling process. And then studying how others have found this peace that we're all chasing. I want to close with this. It's from a book called Life Sketches. It says this. This life at best, at best, is but the Christian's winter. And the bleak winds of winter, disappointments, losses, pain, and anguish are our lot here. But our hopes are reaching forward to the Christian's summer. When we shall change climate, 
Leave all the wintry blasts and fierce tempests behind and be taken to those mansions. Jesus has gone to prepare for those that love him. The best way to prepare for the thorns and thistles of life is to wake up every morning, to go to bed every night, and to say, Jesus, help me. Walk with me. Don't give up on me. I'm not giving up on you. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We record these messages each week at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Adairsville. And if you're ever in the area, we'd love to see you. Stop in and say hi and enjoy some good Southern food with us. We'll see you next week.